To celebrate Black History, The Post and Courier is presenting a series of podcasts and video interviews featuring 12 dynamic South Carolina leaders to know. We talk to people from all over the state about their efforts to advance social justice, celebrate black culture, address community needs, and create a better world. Our podcasts and videos will be released monthly through January 2022. To learn about South Carolina's pantheon of social justice warriors, go to postandcourier.com slash blackhistory. Join us in learning about our state's remarkable change agents. of life. We're proud of who we are and what we believe. We are among the 200,000 people who work for Bank of America. What would you like the power to do? To celebrate Black History, The Post and Courier is presenting a series of video interviews and podcasts featuring 12 dynamic South Carolina leaders to know. We talk to people from all over the state about their efforts to advance social justice, celebrate black culture, address community needs, and create a better world. Our videos and podcasts will be released monthly through January 2022. To watch or to listen, and to read feature stories about major civil rights milestones, significant organizations, past and present, and South Carolina's pantheon of social justice warriors, go to postandcourier.com slash blackhistory. Join us in learning about our state's remarkable change agents. At the College of Charleston, we're a collection of visionaries, disruptors, rebels, dreamers, whether it's in the sciences, the arts, education, business, or technology, we study greatness to unlock our own greatness. Because at the College of Charleston, we prepare leaders, not followers. We believe that originality is the best way to stand out. And you'll find that our way of thinking, like the opportunity here, is boundless. Today, we welcome Marilyn Hemingway. Marilyn Hemingway. Yes. Hi. Welcome to the Post and Courier. Is, don't we have a lovely library here? You do. Yeah, I know. Stacks of newspapers, books on the shelves. So is this a library or the morgue? Kind of both, actually. Okay. Yeah, uh, behind the camera are these file cabinets where we keep all the clippings, the old clippings. Okay. And uh, around the room are the bookshelves and things like that. So it's, it's all kind of old, actually. Very yeah. cool. Does it... Does it um, spark any journalistic, uh, you know, cause any little vibrations there? Because you went to school to study journalism. I didn't you? did. So I wouldn't necessarily say it causes any vibration or vibes, but certainly an appreciation oh. of this history. Because ultimately that's what it is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We're making it and we are it. Yeah. <laughs> Let's hope we You're don't just become it history. And you are it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We don't want to become history. No, we don't want to just become history, do we? Well, uh, thank you so much for getting together with us. You are now in the what, third year, fourth year of third, third year. year of the Gullah Geechee Chamber of Commerce. That is correct. Based in Georgetown. Yes. And I'm eager to hear all about it, but first I want to kinda <laughs> start at the start and hear a little bit about um, just George your your Georgetown roots. Okay. And uh, and then your experiences, because you were uh, Air Force child. Air Force brat. Uh, my father was in the Air Force for 28 years, 28 active years. duty, and retired back home to Georgetown. And his our last uh, station was Shaw Air Force Base in Sumter, which okay. is also family also. So you got family in Sumter. Family in family Sumter in Georgetown. And my uh, ancestral roots, if you will, covered the entire coast of South Carolina. Oh. My father's family, the Dunmores and Hemingways, are from Ori, Georgetown County, in that part of the state PD mm -hmm. area. And my mother's roots cover the low country, Beaufort, Bamberg, Hampton, Charleston. <laughs> <laughs> and so my family, we cover all of the coast and we go into the Midlands also, Sumter, because of Morris College. Oh, oh yeah. which you attended? 
No, no. my grandfather was chair of right. the board of Morris College back in the day. Oh, okay. And my uncle was president of Morris College, um, and my aunt was academic dean. And there's wow. some buildings named after family members, my grandfather, my mm -hmm. uncle, my aunts. So All right. I ran around the campus of Morris College when we lived at Charlotte Force Base. <laughs> and your family, it sounds like your family's uh, got a lot of sort of professional people, um, academics and educators and... I'm a third generation college grad. Um, and if you know it, and I'm assuming you know being a journalist, about 16 to 18% of the United States population has a college degree. So to be a third generation, and we're working on the fourth generation, kind of in the middle of the fourth generation. Oh yeah, all right, well. And we just had the last of my nieces and nephews finish high school last month, so she's going to college. Um, so they're going through college. Good, yeah. great. So like many African-American families, it wasn't if you're going to college, it's what college are you going to? And what college do you think, do, do they have any sense where they might go? My, the, the fourth generation? Yeah, the, young, the high school. They're, um, the high school, it's a private college in Raleigh, North Carolina. It used to be all girls and I cannot remember the name. Oh, okay, well, that's good, yeah. all right. Yeah, but but you went to the University of South Carolina. Yes, my, I have, I'm the youngest of four. I have three older brothers. I am the only girl, <laughs> so I'm, um, yeah, and the baby, so. Oh boy, so did yes, they protect you or you tease spoiled? you and torture you or both? Not so much tease and torture, they made me tough. Oh, okay. They protected me and I was a tomboy and now at the age that I am now, 56, most people don't believe I was a tomboy, but I ran with my brothers. I played street football. Yeah. I mean. You know, street football, yeah. tackle. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes the tackle kind of knocked me out. But uh, <laughs> um, ran track, was fishing, crabbing. We did that. My yeah. mother was first a physical ed teacher, then she received her master's. Well, I shouldn't say she received it. She earned, earned it. her right. master's. And then she became a librarian. So I was between that very outdoors, very athletic, but then also a reader. Okay. We, I mean, that's, I had a librarian. Yeah, as a, as a mother. Yeah, mm -hmm. and then my dad um, was um, in the Air Force 28 years, and when he retired, started a whole new career, became a business manager at Ori Georgetown Technical College. Then he became a superintendent with the school district. He was um, the district supervisor of all the custodians, the that kind of part of the school district, yeah, uh -huh. the supply warehouse, all yeah, of that. Yeah, yeah, mm -hmm. uh, running, running, helping to run the district. That's basically, right. that's right. Make, keeping it going. Yeah, and then an entire family is known, not only my immediate family but extended family, we're known for being community engaged. Mm -hmm. So what what main lessons did you draw from your your elders, the, your parents and your grandparents and your aunts and your uncles and all these folks who've been com engaged in communities across the state. Um, what, what, what were the main lessons do you think you drew from, those, from them? That we have been blessed and those who have been blessed, you give back to the community. That's one, if not the main lesson, and the education that's what you're going to do um, and that you continue your education. I remember my mother telling me when I went to college. Well, let me back that up a little bit because my dad, he was very proud to be an Air Force veteran, but he didn't want any of his kids to go into the military because of what he went through when he was in the military. What did he go through? Racism. Um, you know, he entered originally the Army Air Corps. The Air Force didn't even exist Exists. when he started. So he was one of the first people in the Air Force. And he went through a lot. Um, um, the Korean War, twice the Vietnam, and he didn't want that for his kids. So I and remember- And he flew airplanes? He, he was the supply. Okay. For the airplanes, okay. he did that okay. side of, that's why later on you can see his professional track. Um, 
but he spent a lot of time on airplanes. He um, just didn't want what he went through for his kids. And he actually started at Allen University, but left there to help his mother send his siblings, because he was the oldest, through college. And he just did, education was key. It was like, get educated. But um, That was the ticket. That was the ticket. And I remember when I was 18 and going through, you know, what schools I would attend making that decision. And one day I was talking to my dad, and I just teasingly said, I'm going to go in the military. And he said, no, you're not. I mean, he poured me blanks to my kids. I didn't go through what I went through for my kids to go into the military. Hmm. Even though he was very proud of it. He was, too. We buried him. I lost him last year with his Air Force cap because he always wore it. He was very mm. proud. Mm. And um, I ended up going to the University of South Carolina. As a matter of fact, all of us did, all of my siblings, my brothers and I. And um, unfortunately, the next generation, no one has gone to the University of South Carolina. <laughs> but um, but um, well. my mother always said, even when you get your degree from college, continue getting your education. Take workshops, seminars, work, you know, community classes. Now they, they're webinars. Right. And Zoom meetings. Anything <laughs> to continue being educated. And I've lived a good life. I really have been blessed, lucky, whatever you want to call it. But we, it has always been drilled into us to give back to the community. And you can see that not only in what I do, but my brothers. Um, Little League coaches, they're doing something in the community, whether it's through church or community organizations giving back. That's great. And where are your brothers? Are they in South Carolina? One is in Columbia, South Carolina. One is in Arkansas, and one a suburb of Little Rock, and one is in Phoenix, Arizona. Phoenix, Arizona. That's mm -hmm. different. I lived out there for five and a half years myself. Really? Love Arizona. Mm. Love it. Um, way too hot it's in the arid summer. but it's a dry heat it's a dry <laughs> heat it's not like this humid heat we have here it's I a dry heat people, so it's good it's fine you turn an oven to 400 degrees and stick your head in that oven <laughs> that is phoenix arizona so we like to say dry heat i love it i would actually live there in the winter and live on the east coast in the summer, Where it's and that's much what cooler. a lot of people do. Um, so that's kind of a goal of mine, also. But dry heat, you can literally feel your moisture being evaporating. Dry. Yeah, yes. right. And you run from your car to your office building in the mornings and evenings to get out of the heat. And I remember driving home one night, um, and it was 100 degrees at one o'clock in the morning. That's just. <laughs> There aren't supposed to be like people living in a place like that. That that it's even are, habitable is yeah. kind of remarkable. Well, it is, and you know, and it's gotten hotter because um, when I lived there, and that's twenty years ago, it was nine degrees hotter than average because of all the concrete that they had been building. And concrete holds heat, yeah. so that's raising the temperatures. So I can imagine. I mean, there it was one hundred and thirty degrees in Death Valley, California last week. Uh, Phoenix is in a desert. Yeah. So they were probably right behind that. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Wow. Mm. But beautiful. I love it out there. So you, while you were growing up, though, you lived in various places? Guam well, among well, them, right? Well, by the time I came along, I was actually born in Myrtle Beach Air Force Base that doesn't Myrtle Beach exist Air Force anymore. Mm. <laughs> but, um, but I grew up until I was five in Georgetown which is the family home. Right. And then we went overseas to Guam, and then we came back and we stayed at Shaw Air Force Base in Sumter, and then my dad retired. Okay. So by the time I came along, he was slowing down. He was slowing down already, yeah. But my oldest brother was born in England. One was actually born in Georgetown because he couldn't get to the hospital fast enough in Myrtle Beach Air Force Base. But the last two, my youngest brother and myself, were actually born in Myrtle Beach Air Force Base. Oh, okay. Where they had medical facilities and everything, I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and they had that in Georgetown too. But I mean, we were Air Force, so we went to the Air Force. Base. Yeah. Well, that makes sense. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So your connection to Georgetown then is, is stronger than probably anything else, I would think. Yeah. And that's where you are that's now. That's home. That's home. That's home. 
Um, and that's where, in my parents met in Georgetown in third grade. My mother is, um, had six living siblings. Her parents had 10 pregnancies, but six that survived. And she was the youngest, and she was born in um, Georgetown. She met my father in the third grade at, at the Howard Primary School. You know, that you followed Howard, that was the historical black school in Georgetown, in Georgetown City. Um, and then, so that's home. My father's family, the Dunmores and the Hemingways, were from Cat Island Plantation, which is now part of the Thomas Yawkey Wildlife Preserve. Oh, okay. And Thomas Yawkey purchased about eight or nine plantations and made it one, the preserve. Yeah. And um, and then also Sandy Island, my grandfather, great grandfather, met his wife Charlena on Sandy Island Plantersville. I tell yeah. people follow the water. Follow the, the water. water they were the highways, the rivers were the right. highways. So if you follow the water, you can see where the connections were made. And they met and married, and then my grandmother and her siblings, and then my grandmother met Peter Hemingway the second, and they had four kids, and then my dad had four with his wife. Right, wow. So we trace it back to those plantations. So there's a reason why you call it the Gullah Geechee Chamber of Commerce. Because I'm Gullah. Because you're Gullah. Yeah. This uh, the all entire coast of South Carolina. I'm Gullah. Yeah. I, I tell people, I am not fluent in Gullah. Well, okay. Um, but I just came back from Beaufort and um, had dinner with some wonderful folks, Aunt Pearlie Sue and Scott and Gloria and Juanita and Roy, Alana, um, folks in Beaufort. And in our conversation, just when I started to get really comfortable, you can hear it. Yeah. But the accent, the yes, yes, some of the but words. But I don't speak it. I just and then plus I also tell folks, um, I'm not a performing monkey. I just don't turn it on like that. Yeah, it's more family and friends and hanging out. And it's intrinsic. Like if the, the, at least the people I know who speak that. Uh, who speak Gullah, it's a more of an intrinsic thing. I mean, they just, it's a natural thing. They're that's not right. thinking about yeah, that's it. Because right, we're bilingual, and uh, it was funny, and we laughed about it because I said, You see, I was so comfortable with them. Then I started just, as you say, it's intrinsic. Then it comes yeah. out. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And this is a little bit of code switching, too, right? Because for so many years, it wasn't thought to be proper, English. proper English or refined enough or and whatever. It's not, because it's a whole separate language. It's a different language. It's yeah. proper for what it is, though. Exactly. Obviously. Exactly. And it's not written. But so there are you still can people go to today. Georgetown, you can go to Beaufort, Charleston, and we speak Gullah, but you, you even have different inflections, right. different. But I can go to Beaufort and understand because there are commonalities within the language. Yeah. English is the same way. Yeah, English. it's interesting because, I mean, Gullah used to be c considered a dialect, but it's not really a dialect, it's a language. And like all languages, it has its various dialects, exactly. its various exactly. you know, accents exactly. and differences based mm -hmm. on location and region mm -hmm. and habit and whatever. Mm -hmm. um, so it, there's no true. difference here. So in Georgetown, I actually understand it better then if I go to Buford and Charleston, I have to consciously listen in Buford and Charleston and other areas. But in Georgia, it's more natural mm -hmm. because of the dialect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. interesting. So tell me about the Chamber of Commerce. Why did you start it? And also, our, our, um, our viewers need to know right off the bat that this is not your normal Chamber of Commerce where uh, you're just sort of... Uh, fostering business Having development golf, and golf tournaments to raise right money. come to Georgetown and spend your money in our city because we have all these wonderful things so you're focused not only on the african-american community to a large extent but on environmental issues mm -hmm. okay mm -hmm. so tell me how you even conceived of this and why and how you got it going and kind of where you're at now three years later it's a combination of my professional and personal journey, I guess you say the first phase of my life, the first half. <laughs> and um, so, because this is not the end of something, this is the beginning of a lot. I just started this in 2018, but it took my journey to get there. 
And part of that was my professional journey, everything, a culmination of everything that I've done. I've worked in corporate, I've worked in nonprofit, I've worked in small businesses. So I Politics. Have politics. I forgot about politics. Don't forget politics. Politics. <laughs> And politics is in everything. Well, right. It's in everything, but politics. But I mean, you you worked on the staff of actual, yeah. Stuff. Yeah. Um, and then my personal journey was I suffer from depression. And since high, not high school, college, I've been in and out of therapy. I suffer from depressive episodes. Mm -hmm. And I know now at 56, I know when it's happened. And you I was feel it a, coming. Yeah, and, and yeah, or I'm in it. You know, and I sought professional treatment for that. And I also took a course at the College of Charleston called In Place Impact, created by Stuart Williams. And um, it was a free community business course. And I wanted to do something different with my life professionally. Quite frankly, I was bored. Mm -hmm. But in my journey, I also have gained an appreciation of who I am as Gullah Geechee and of my community. And the wonderful thing about being an Air Force brat and being exposed to different cultures, it gives you a more worldly view. I recommend travel to anyone. <laughs> right. Because it, it just, cures it, racism. It does. it does. It gives you a more worldly view, cultural view of things. And so in an objective sense, I can look at my culture and say, we bring value. We are evolutionary. We are global. It's not just South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, North Carolina. The transatlantic slave route sent us to the Caribbean islands, to South America. Actually, more enslaved West Africans went to South America. Mm -hmm. So we're all cousins. But we also marginalized and historically excluded and under-resourced communities. Right. What can I do? to be part of the solution rather than part of the problem. And I had to take a look at myself on a personal level and a professional level and make some decisions. One, to get healthier mentally, but also decide on a professional level, I need to take care of my retirement. I was working someplace, mm -hmm. but if I had stayed there and done just enough, I would have been okay for 20 years retired. Mm -hmm. But once again, going back to that worldly outlook exposure, I knew, and my education and background, and parents who told me, give back to your community. You've been given so much um, to give back. Is what I had to answer that question. What can I do for myself and also for my community? So I took the in-place impact class at College of Charleston, and I actually went in with more of a cooperative idea. Mm -hmm. But that class, obviously, I evolved, and I said, "The gotta get you Chamber of Commerce." But I knew. What it just came to you? Yeah, after taking the yeah during the class during yeah, the class. I think everything just the timing was right, and what. The timing was right for the community, but the timing was right also for me. For you, to launch this to new launch enterprise this. about something you're passionate about. That's right. And it just kind of took everything, my experience skills, my mental and emotional growth and maturity, that everything came together. And I decided to leave my job. I gave them, <laughs> I gave them like three months notice, because I was working on a big project. That's generous. And I told them after the project, I will be leaving. And the project happened, and then, I, I can't remember, this is back in 2018, but I think maybe about a week after the project, I handed in my two weeks notice. And, and, and they were like, well, we thought maybe you were gonna be leaving like in June, because this was like March. Right. And I said, no, I told you I was gonna be leaving. After now, the project. After the project. Now here it is. And if I had not done that, I probably would have still been there. It was a total leap of faith. Um, not totally. I kind of knew. But it was kind of crazy. Yeah, it's, well, it it's scary. Crazy. It's scary it's to scary. leave something familiar and what yeah. you know. Yeah. 
something reliable yeah. and But and I knew if I didn't thing. do it then. What were you doing? What, what kind of job was that? Federal Healthcare Network. Oh, I was their right, marketing right, coordinator. Right. And I was part of the team that rebranded from Franklin C. Fetter Family Health Center to Federal Healthcare Network, led the team, new logo, everything. And the big project is they were celebrating 50 years, so I organized the uh, 50th anniversary luncheon. Yeah. And, um, Great organization. I mean, I imagine your experience there was very good. Wonderful. Oh, and it still informs me to this day. And um, we work with St. James Health and Wellness because I actually own the Hemingway Group, which is a communications firm. Mm -hmm. So that's the money maker. <laughs> You're like so a I consultant. Self -fund communications I consult and okay. stuff. And, um, and, um, Generate a little income that way. That's right. And. Um, so that allows me to put money back into what I'm growing. And um, so I help rebrand them also, and I work with St. James. I love community health centers. Yeah. They do a lot of good that people. Well, and they used to be there. so common throughout South Carolina under yeah. Fritz Hollings. You yeah. know, he had a yeah. bunch of rural centers set up yeah. throughout the state. And they're still here, but community health centers were set up to provide health care regardless of income. They were not given funding for marketing. Yeah. So they never really marketed themselves. They just informed, we give help. They were just there. But under Affordable Care Act, more money was put into them to raise their profile. I see. So that's when a lot started rebranding. That's why you started to see, like, Federal Health Care became Federal Health Care. Became Network. more visible. Yeah, and St. James, yeah. Because they now had some funds to let people know this is what we really do. Rather than just word of mouth, they do more market. At the College of Charleston, we're a collection of visionaries, disruptors, rebels, dreamers. Whether it's in the sciences, the arts, education, business, or technology, we study greatness to unlock our own greatness. Because at the College of Charleston, we prepare leaders, not followers. We believe that originality is the best way to stand out. And you'll find that our way of thinking, like the opportunity here, is boundless. So I'm sensing that there's a connection between your experience at Fetter and the chamber now, that with sort of what you're doing with the chamber and the, the, the agenda you have and the priorities, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and even just your, your approach, your business approach. Of course, mm -hmm. the focus is different. You have this environmental focus. Mm -hmm. um, but t tell me a little bit about the transition and kind of what you've brought. The transition is the environmental justice piece and the economic justice. Um, the environmental piece is our advocacy for the environment, addressing climate change, and education about green renewable energy. And people have to understand the environment, if we have an unhealthy environment, we are unhealthy people physically, mentally, and emotionally. So that's the healthcare connection. They are really dealing with people who, let's be honest, it doesn't matter what income, you could be a millionaire and go to these community health centers, and you could have zero money and go to these community health centers. But the majority of the people are the low-income folks, and they tend to be forgotten by society. But those are the people who need the healthy environment the most, or are impacted the most by industry, pollution, etc. Mm -hmm. So that's the tie-in. So when I transitioned the marketing skills from dealing with community health centers and the information that I have in my head, um, my skills from politics. It's all about relationship building, networking. Sure. All of that came together. So, um, and in my head, I understood for us to be physically, mentally, emotionally healthy, we have to have a healthy environment. And the culture side of it, with the Galagichi, who I am, is that we are inherently, historically embedded in the land. The land. It is because of our knowledge of how to control the water and manage the land that allowed us to grow the rice, the indigo, and the sugar. That's why our ancestors were enslaved. Because they had the knowledge to do this. The knowledge. Yeah. So it wasn't just, we have these pictures of people out in the rice fields growing. Yes, they were, but they also built the trunks. 
they controlled the water and managed the land to grow the rice. And that puts an entirely different spin on it. And once you understand that, then you understand that these people were engineers, they were builders, they were teachers, because basically they had apprenticeships, because I teach my children, my grandchildren, they were passing it on orally mm -hmm. and by action. Mm -hmm. and so they were academics. They were doctors. They were, even now, when you hear root doctors, they were literally doctors. The natural world. So Which provided a lot. Sustenance, a lot of everything. Real it remedy. Everything. Yeah. It provided not only the food that you eat, the medicine that you took, the shelter over your head, your clothing, and our ancestors understood this. They did everything. And that also speaks to entrepreneurship. Because after the Civil War, you could see it in Charleston, Georgetown, up and down this coast, Beaufort, even prior to the end of the Civil War. I just had a conversation with Aunt Pearly Sue in Beaufort who was talking, 1861, they were freed mm -hmm. in Beaufort. They were, that was the foundation of Reconstruction. They ran Beaufort because once the free, recently freed enslaved came off those plantations, they brought all the skills. Because plantations were cities in and of themselves. Yeah. The only difference was you weren't getting paid. <laughs> you literally were not getting paid, not only for your labor, but your skills and knowledge. And this informs why I created the Gullah Geechee Chamber of Commerce and why we're not a regular chamber because I'm an activist chamber. I sat at kitchen tables this past weekend explaining to folks about the grant we recently received and what's going to happen with that so that I can meet the next person networking, mm -hmm. building those relationships. I've sat on front porches. I've stood in the streets talking to folks who are baking the cakes out of home and selling them at Christmas time so they can buy presents for their children and grandchildren. Those are entrepreneurs. Yeah. But like me, they didn't know it. We didn't grow up entrepreneurs, but I certainly grew up around small business owners. And creative people. And creative people. So we've been doing the work. We simply don't have access to the funds. Right. And that impacts everything because we live in a capitalistic society. So that's your main mission, to help... Economic uplift, economic justice, and environmental justice. Because we are Gullah Geechee and we are inherently connected to the land and water, you cannot disconnect it. Those three you, things are intrinsic. You've got yep. to have healthy environment to have a healthy ecosystem, healthy economy. And to foster, right, to foster a healthy economy. That's correct. Right. Yeah, yeah. That's correct. And, well. that's, and I started a chamber because it's easy to explain. You, somebody somewhere has heard the word chamber. Right, right. They may not have been totally connected to it or been a member. I actually was membership director for the Georgetown County Chamber back in the early 2000s. Okay, so you have direct chamber have experience chamber that you're also experience. bringing. Okay. So you can speak that and, language in a way with, and also with the right people. And director of the North Columbia Business Association. So I can speak that language. And it's, it's interesting that you said that too, but go ahead. Why? Why is that interesting? Because I also... My mission, the Chamber's mission, is to raise global awareness, profitability, and sustainability of African-American businesses and other entities that impact the Gullah community. The other entities are environmental organizations, not of the community, but I need them too. So we are an inclusive organization, and the environmental folks, I tell them, because they tend, historically and traditionally, to be majority white, yes, they need to diverse. Um, and they know that. And I talk to them. <laughs> and I tell them, do not come talk at my community. You talk with us. Because we bring something to the table, too. We just don't use the terminology. We don't use your language. But we have always reduced, reused, recycled because we were forced to. I would think quite the other way around. I would think the nonprofits and the environmental organizations have a lot to learn from Gullah Geechee communities. They do, but they don't know that. Well, okay, but you're changing that. You're That's telling them. That's part of why I started the Gullah Geechee Environmental Programs. 
<laughs> what is the and why I receive grants for those? Before you tell me about those programs, because I want I want to get into a little bit of the specifics about what it is you're actually doing. Um, but tell me first, what, what has been the reaction? So you sit on these front porches with people and you're explaining what's going on and what your mission is and you're connecting these dots and showing how these th the, the three-legged stool works mm -hmm. or whatever. Mm -hmm. And they, what happens? Well, when I first started, people were looking at me like I was crazy. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Because they just, we as a community have been disappointed so many times. You have, it's at a point now where you have to see it to believe it. And I have, when I first started, I promptly made a lot of bad decisions because I never really, you know, did my own chamber. And I actually lost my car. I walked for a year and a half. And there are people who did believe in me and saw what I was doing. And they would take me places. You know, I, and I started slowly making money, getting some, the Hemingway Group Communications firm, right. getting some solid clients. Um, and as I started making money, I would rent cars if I need to go out of town. If you had to. And just little by little, I built, and then I got to the point where I was able to go get a car. Then I was like, hired my financial person. So if you're going in business, the first thing you need to do when you make a little money, hire a financial person. Keep the financial straight. Right. You know? yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's good advice. Yeah, keep the financial straight. <laughs> I mean, what, so when I talk to people, I actually tell them, I am on the same journey you are on. And I am. I mean, I have. It's more a cliche experience. about meeting people where, where they, they are, are, but you it's are true. meeting people where yeah. they are. Like, you know, so yeah. the Hemingway Group, I did have some business experience because the Hemingway Group I started back in 2006. But honestly, I wasn't really serious about it. I was doing it, but really not invested. And I had. That's why I had to get my head straight. This is who I am, and step out and do it. Um, and I, you could see, you could track my progress. And where I grew, the organization grew financially and just the maturity of the programming and stuff. And as people start seeing it, and another word that's very important, consistency. Mm -hmm. I've stuck with it, you know, and people see that. And through that, now I'm bringing more skills in. I was a grant writer for other folks, making lots of money for other organizations and businesses. And now I'm doing it for the organizations that I've created. So you can actually track the growth, but it's, you know, it's always been kind of like this, you know? Yeah. I'm hoping it gets like, <laughs> well, I mean, but you know, that's, that's, that's life cycles. Yeah. It's up and nonprofits, and you know? Yeah. And you have to be consistent. So I started the chamber of commerce in 2018 and 2020, I started the Gala Geechee chamber foundation because that's another stream of revenue. I could really go get grants. Right. The chamber's limited in what you can do with grants and stuff. So I started a 501c3, but now I also had the track record because of the chamber. And people could see what she's been doing stuff. So I started getting grants. And then I started the Gotta Get You Leadership Institute, which is the 501c4, because I also realized I have to deal with policies and issues to do the economic justice and environmental justice. Like just this past weekend, I met with some crabbers, oyster harvesters, and they were talking about um, the DNR leased oyster beds to one person. And because the way it's set up, they're left out. But traditionally for generations, they've been harvesting oysters. So now I'm going to do the research about that. Uh -huh. They Talk told to me the what department. they actually want. And then, yeah, I'm going to be talking to DNR because I realize that's an economic question. If they can't get the oyster beds, right. that literally impacts their bottom line. So we got to fight for that. So those are three nonprofits I've started. I still have the Hemingway Group. And then this year I'm starting two new businesses. Really? Mm -hmm. For-profit? For, now I'm the for-profit. What are these? One is the Gullivoot Tour Company. Tour Company? In Georgetown. So that's the black, it's, it's a black history company in Georgetown. Okay. And any other one I can't tell you. But you know. Can you give me a hint? Can you tell me what it's about? Retail. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Good. Mm -hmm. Good for you. Because that's my retirement. Okay. That's like a storefront. You're going to sell some stuff. Possibly. Maybe. Maybe. All right. Well, <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll wait and see how that, how that goes. Yeah.
That's great. So, so you're gonna like organize various tours then through this in other Georgetown. Group. In yes. Georgetown, and I have a partner in it. Okay. I am not the historian. I know my lane. Yeah. My lane is economics. Okay. So you're gonna work but with somebody it else. But involves culture, history, involves who I am. But I'm not the historian. I okay. don't take over that job. I have historian Steve Williams, a local author of Black History uh -huh. in Georgetown. Three books: one for one illustrated book for children, and two. Uh, George on Black History, and he's the historian expert of it. Excellent. And then we have our aprons with the name on it. That's oh. the uniform. Got your logo and everything. Got our logo and everything. So are you gonna go up the river and and like talk about We're the rice plantations and? That's part of it. It's a package. Whatever you want. Here. Okay. So you can but, do different. But now that you said it, there are other people starting businesses that do that also. There's so much opportunity now because yeah. of Gullah Geechee, um, the work that's being done, not just by my organizations, by others that the Gullah Geechee profile is being raised. Yeah. There is opportunity, and I want to be a part of that. I want to be part of that solution. You know, I, I don't know. You know we, in Charleston, we're very Charleston-focused and centric, and you so we talk yeah. about, um, you know, the Cooper River and the Ashley River and the Wando River and the mm -hmm. plantations, mm -hmm. and maybe we'll occasionally think about the Buford area and stuff. But I, I, I wondered how often uh, the Charleston-centric folks think about Georgetown, because really, Georgetown kind of was the epicenter of rice production, Georgetown not was Charleston. The it wasn't Charleston. It, it was, was Georgetown. Georgetown. Georgetown had over 300 plantations, plantations. up and the Waccamaw River. Mine, Zenobia Washington Harper, who started the Gullah Preservation Society in Georgetown, she did that for that reason you just said that this, Georgetown was the epicenter. Yeah, we're not celebrating the peculiar institution of slavery. We're celebrating the people, the enslaved, who made the money right. that they spent in Charleston. In Charleston, <laughs> because they made I think the a money lot of that rice Georgetown. came here to get shipped out and whatever. That's right. They but, made the money in Georgetown yeah. and spent it in Charleston. That's why you see all these mansions and stuff. Yes, yeah, to right. Ashley Cooper and all yeah. that. Also, but and some of the some of the amount. I'm assuming some of the Charleston old Charleston families had plantations all around, including along the Waccamaw River. The Manigault family. For example. <laughs> For example, there are Manigaults in Georgetown, yeah. and I know history about that. The yeah, this once again, follow the water, or the old King's Highway. <laughs> <laughs> right, or the old King's Highway. <laughs> and Later the Chitlin and, Circuit. And, and the plantation owners would visit like once or twice during the year, especially during the summer, they would come to Charleston or go Asheville, the mountains, to get away from the mosquitoes. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and they would, it wasn't just like Mr. and Mrs. in a carriage coming to Charleston. They would move the entire household. Yeah. So, what are you going to do? You're going to intermarry here. You're going to build relationships. You know, the enslaved built, had a, a whole community that was hidden from the average white person, right? Let's just be honest. Right, let's, and, right, in, exactly. and in Georgetown, you had it was the plantation owner class, the enslaved folks, and a very, very small merchant class. Because Georgetown at one point was ninety-five percent black. Black. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and, and Charleston too was the majority. Carolina was like majority, you know, at least eighty-five percent and so for a long. And these these uh, very vibrant kind of middle class communities emerged uh, here and in Georgetown, small but but vibrant. All this professional class, you know, for different reasons. Yeah, for, One, um, but mostly because of, of skills, self-sustaining. I mean, they had to do for themselves what they couldn't That's right. obtain. And miscegenation, also. and you know, just it's. It's very, it's fascinating. History. It really is. It fascinating really is. History. You know. Uh, yeah, and it's not all doom and gloom, and you know, I mean, it's the. I don't mean to dismiss the pain and the, and the horror of it all, because there was plenty I, I of that. I would not put but it there that was it also, wasn't always doom and gloom, but it speaks to the resilience and strength exactly. of our people, of right. my ancestors. Right. And I had the conversation. And the talents with, and the knowledge yes, and the know-how yes. and the engineering and yes. the create the creative spirit. Under the worst of the circumstances. The persistence. Yeah. 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 And I think, but over time, there's been this disconnect because we've bought into mythology 
and miseducation, not realizing it, that's created a disconnect. And I think now that I see younger folks are seeking who are we? Mm. And here we are. The Gullah Geechee, I, my conversation with Aunt Pearly Sue yesterday, we were like, come back home to South Carolina. This is the closest, the Gullah Geechee community is the closest you're going to get to Africa. Most of us, let's be quite honest, are not going to be able to afford to go to Africa. But the or want you to. Get, or want to. Because talk. it really is a different culture. Yeah. And the thing is, getting back closer to that, we all come from Africa. Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, you know, white folks, you, know, you need to get hit to what's going on, too. Because ultimately what I believe is the indigenous, when it comes to the climate change environment, the indigenous people are going to save us. All of us. And the indigenous people of this area are the government. If we let them. If, if yes. Because they yes. know. They've already figured it out. Yeah, they already know all the solutions. If you they've go known to it for Australia, the aboriginals. Uh, Amazon, all of the um, indigenous tribes that we really need to leave alone, you know, the Gullah Geechee, because you can even say the tectonic plates, you can see where Africa fits mm -hmm. into this area. Of course we knew what to do. This, we were just simply crossing water, mm -hmm. you know, not by choice, but when we arrived here in 1526, <laughs> or before that, actually, you recognized it. It was very recognizable. And so it was easy just to transfer what we already knew into creating. Um, but let's be honest, we just weren't paid for what we knew right. in our efforts. Yeah. And that has haunted this country from day one. Well, and once you're so far behind, it's almost impossible to catch up without some sort of intervention, some sort of help. Investment. And investment in communities. Yeah. And in a sense, that's also part of your mission, to, sh to provide people the tools t to secure capital, to manage that capital well, to create new opportunities, and so on. Very much so. And that's why I'm starting Gadagichi University, our educational arm. Oh, I have a yet team. another thing? Yeah, well, it's internal. Okay. It's a team oh. of very smart folks, because I can't do everything, and I don't want to do everything, um, who are putting together uh, classes and workshops for small, micro, and startup businesses within the community to come in. Because this grant that I received to establish the preservation of our maritime heritage and the Gullah Geechee Seafood Trail, these businesses have to be prepared. We're creating an infrastructure. I see. Because more and more people are interested in where have I come from? Who are the Gullah Geechee? And it's not just me. This is a collaborative effort. But I do see the Gullah Geechee Chamber as being that umbrella organization that taps into the tourism market because mm -hmm. what that's a, the second largest industry in our nation is tourism I believe and I think the in first in this area yeah, in South Carolina number one and we have been left out of that pie and why because we don't have ownership very few of us have ownership we are the hotel workers the restaurant workers we're service the jobs and it's time for us to have some ownership of who we are and share a certain percentage, not all. <laughs> good for you. That and sounds good. For it. That's right. That's what you got to do. I think it sounds fantastic and um, and very, very promising. And, and it sounds also like you're getting good, good, good response, basically. So now, going back to your question that you did ask, at the beginning it was rough. It was like, who, who are you, you know? Um, so, you know, you got to tell people, you know what I'll do. Uh, what church you go to? <laughs> Who you know? Who's your family? Right. I went to Buford, put flowers on my ancestors' graves every time I go down there to, to honor them. Um, and now people, because of the work they've done, the timing is right. Things happen for a reason. Yeah. I really, truly believe that. The energy and the pieces, the... It's like a big jigsaw puzzle and the pieces are starting to come together. So now, I'm not saying it's easier because there's still pockets of mistrust, distrust, 
etc. But in general, I hope I'm going in humbly to these communities. Well, so uh, Marilyn Hemingway, thank you very much. This sounds all very promising and interesting and intriguing. Well, and I can't you. wait to see like the next three years and, and how you, it sounds like you've got a lot of balls in the air, if that's the right. I do. No, they're not really in the air. They're kind of, they're kind of on the surface rolling along now. Yeah. Yeah, is what's are. going I, on. There's a lot, but um, this is, I enjoy it. And I tell people, as long as I enjoy it, I'll keep going. You'll do it. And yeah, I have my nieces and nephews, and I, I want to leave a legacy in my community, but I also want to leave a legacy to my nieces and nephews. And um, it really is honoring my late parents, my ancestors, because even in the worst of circumstances, and I've been blessed, my family has been blessed. We still struggle with racism, sexism, all of that. Don't get me wrong, but we have been blessed with so much that we do need to give back. Mm -hmm. And I think I'm doing it. And, and, when you, and when you hold things tight, you strangle it and kill it. And, and, and giving back, it's lifting everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's my duty obligation. <laughs> well, it sounds like you found your niche. It sounds like you found... Um, my journey. Right, you're in the yeah. right place on that journey. Yeah, yeah it sounds yeah. like it. It's you, exciting. You can hear it in your voice that you sound confident in what it is you're do I'm sure there are moments where you're freaking out and thinking, oh my God, is this <laughs> the right thing? <laughs> but overall, your mindset, yeah. it's, it feels to me like you, you have a clear vision of where you need to be. Yes, I do. <laughs> it's so funny that you said that the moments. When I found out I got this, $283,000 grant. Congratulations. I, thank you. And I posted on Facebook. Bef I didn't really announce it. I just said, I just received good news. Pray for me. Because <laughs> it really, yeah, it was a good moment. But man, it was like a little overwhelmed. It's intimidating. It's like, That's a, it's a lot of money. And it means somebody th thinks highly of you and yeah. thinks what you're yeah. doing is important. Yeah. And so there's, of course, a sense of obligation that goes with that. Yeah, Ooh, I, gotta boy, do I better, it. I better do this well. Yeah, I got to do it. It's, it just got real. I would have said another word, but we know we're recording this. So I have to be nice. It just got real. It did. <laughs> well, thank you for keeping it real, and thank you for talking with us and sharing this uh, uh, information about the Gullah Geechee Chamber of Commerce. Thank you. Congratulations. Thank you. Uh, all power to you. I really appreciate it. I really. I do. I really appreciate it. Well, didn't expect it, so that makes it even sweeter. So thank you very much. Well, it's, it's a pleasure. The pleasure is ours. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Bye-bye. There's a place where young artists can pursue their passion and learn from practicing professional artists. A place where they have the opportunity to explore and refine their talents in an inclusive and supportive community. A place where life-changing experiences are the norm, not the exception. This place? The South Carolina Governor's School for the Arts and Humanities. Learn more about our public residential high school and summer programs. Visit us online today. 12 Black Leaders to Know is a special series of The Post and Career, produced by Chris Zeller, with interviews conducted by Adam Parker, and video production by Matthew Crum. Thank you to our sponsors, Bank of America, College of Charleston Master of Business Administration, South Carolina Governor's School for the Arts and Humanities, Claflin University, Nephron Pharmaceuticals, South Carolina Whitmore School, Ingevity, South Carolina Buy Black Locally, Trident Technical College, and Middleton Place. To learn about South Carolina's pantheon of social justice warriors, visit postandcourier.com slash blackhistory.